And we're live with our 114th episode of Absolute Absic. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my lovely co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, hey everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Um, you know, I, I, I did get an award within the last week you know, <laughs> telling me that I'm the... <laughs> what, what was it? Wait, wait, I have to show everyone. Yeah, I'm 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 the the hottest podcast, uh, you know, co-host. <laughs> it's a major award. It's a Dundee. If, for it's those a Dundee. That watch yes. The office. <laughs> I want a Dundee because because no one else is recognizing us, right? You know, that's the. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I'm recognizing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, magnificent locks yeah. and such. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, right? We'll, we'll go yeah. with that. Yeah. Um. As far as announcements go, uh, the Black Hat EU course is open and registration is available. Uh, if you are interested, please join us. Next level, next level hacking code edition, right? Um, that will be, I think it's December sixth and seventh, if I remember right. I think you're right. That sounds yeah. right. And yeah, but we'd love to have you, uh, Ken and I. Obviously, always enjoy t- teaching and talking code review. So. Come join us. Um, besides that, the Midwinter Nights Con, which is December 16th and 17th. Um, we'll post, uh, let's see. I'll find the link here really quick and we'll post it. Um, oh, yeah. Con. Sorry. I, I, yeah, I like. Oh, we don't even have it. Um, watch this space, though. Right. Let me drop it in there. Here's. Man, while you're looking that up, I'll just say, I feel like during the pandemic, I feel more busy these days than before the the pre-COVID times. Yep. Yeah, it definitely is. So the um, schedule is not out, but we're finalizing it right now. We've got a lot of good speakers on there. Um, A lot of interesting topics. They're like wide ranging. Yeah, it should be interesting. And we'll start tweeting out about the topics as we get the schedule finalized and the people that are going to be there uh, speaking. Um, Obviously it's logical and, you know, company as well, Uh, but we've got quite a few interesting, yeah, interesting things to, to listen on and to hear about there. So come join us for that. Watch for the registration link. The registration link will just be, you'll put in an email address where we can notify you when things go live. That's basically it. Um, so, yeah, it'll just be another free conference with a midwinter uh, theme to it, as opposed to a midsummer themes. Because I've got a bunch of snow now. If you didn't hear, you said six inches yesterday. Yeah, yeah, six inches. It's kind of you know, it's there's no big flurries, but there's a little bit coming down now. So, if anyone wants to come skiing this some this winter, let me know. I'll meet you at a resort, but it has to be the resort of my choice. Sorry, I don't I don't go to crappy resorts anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair uh, that's a that's fair, fair rule to have you've been yeah, doing it long exactly. enough to know which ones suck and which ones are good and that's fair yeah something like that right and just means i'm getting old and i'm you know crotchety now so you have standards uh, that's all it means you're refined I, I, yeah i'm refined i'm refined that's it no more crappy boo alta is trash ah, justin damn it already getting trolled on it um they, do they serve chicken fingies at uh, <laughs> at that Alta Club, yeah, I'm I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure that they do. 
Um, and I'm, if I remember right, they're pretty good. So Justin has nowhere to speak or no, nothing to talk to there. Justin, you're missing out on them chicken fingies. Uh, yeah, those chicken fingies. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to think what else is going on. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been, uh, we've been on, uh, there's quite a bit that's going on in the industry. We've got a bunch of topics that we want to cover today. And are we still getting trolled? Yeah. Yeah. We are. Uh, awesome. <laughs> I, now I'm like hungry. No, not, it's not an exaggeration. Now I was like, man, some chicken fingies with some buttermilk ranch. Sounds great. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we'll bypass all the election crap, right? Um, let's jump straight into actual... <laughs> I keep reading Justin's. Yeah. Let's jump into AppSec topics, right? First thing I want to talk about is a project that actually popped up a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, I wanted your take on it it's called Holahe or Holhe or uh, I don't even know how to say it, right? Like, like it's a, a command Hawaiian line pronunciation. Uh, yeah. I didn't actually even, even look to, how, to see how it was or what the. Okay. Anyway, it's it's a Python um, command line tool that allows and tests for the existence of accounts at various websites that are vulnerable to account enumeration attacks. Um, yeah, the reason we can this is so, oh, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, the reason it's so interesting to me is we find account enumeration pretty much on every single application that we test in one way or another. And somebody's finally codified it and turned it into an actual um, tool to see if someone's account exists in, in various places, right? The easy ones are things like amazon.com, um, you know, Adobe, some of those, you know, eBay, uh, you know, these are fairly well-known services, uh, but I think you are gonna jump into why that's an issue. Yeah, I was looking at the code and I was thinking, well, how hard would it be to convert into a burp uh, script? And um, I don't think it's that hard, uh, but there, you know, like there, there's a decent amount of um, lines of code, I should say. I don't know if it's uh, necessarily, sorry, I'm actually just looking at the code because I'm curious if it can be put into a burp extension. But yeah, so this is really interesting for, you know, your typical credential stuffing, credential reuse sort of exploitation. So um, cause if you, I mean, I'm sure every, most people listening, uh, know, but obviously when you have something like no account lockout and user enumeration and, you know, not super strict password requirements and, you know, two factor auth is not either not an option or not something that's widely used. Your site is you know, pretty vulnerable at that point to, um, account brute forcing or account takeovers, ATOs as the term goes. Yep. Uh, so then using this to then weaponize that is, is fairly interesting, right? You, um, you can kind of like just run the tool, I think, and get some information that you could potentially say, hey, like, I guess yeah. it's like depends on the way you're looking at it. If you're a consultant, it's like a little bit useful for like proof of concept and showing that that's out there. Anytime something's out there and made easy, that obviously you can point to it in your report. You can kind of talk to it, um, you know, if it works and it's legit and everything like that. If you're a bug bounty person, um, 
Gosh, that's that's gets a little bit more dicey. Uh, follow the rules of engagement. But if yeah. you're if you're just a straight up attacker, um, you probably write your own tools for this anyways. But if 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 you're like kind of a low low level lower level skill set, or um, maybe just this is easier and you don't have to write the code, so maybe it has nothing to do with skill set. It's useful. Uh, but I think that it's more just interesting because we still have this issue of uh, people not using two-factor authentication, which uh, this this would help go. It would go a long way towards, I guess, um, prevention of of using credential stuffing or credential reuse. Uh, you know, exploiting that weakness. So, yeah. Well, and I I did notice that it was. I, I mean, it was dependent. There's a Python library um, that doesn't look as extensive, or well. It's extensible, but it's not as um, fleshed out as that whole hey is. Uh, mm-hmm. This social scan, but it only includes like ten different sites, right? Um, and that—that that was my question: was how extensible is it, right? Like, it would be interesting to turn this into a Burt plugin where, oh, hey, you, you find an email address, you know, it just automatically pops it into you know whole hey or social scan and does it, you know, does a quick scan to see whether or not that account exists across the board or in other places. Um, Towards the end of their core file, I think the websites are actually statically set in a list or an array. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the only thing is, you know, you know, where are they matching that at? What's the URL? How does it actually post? It's, it's a, you know, it's a bunch of data that um, is pretty interesting. Um, I don't know, like it just felt like one of those inevitable things to me as far as, hey, somebody's eventually going to do this because we don't lock down account enumeration that well. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. anytime somebody weaponizes anything like, so for instance, with Weird Al, we have this uh, brute force. So like you have, you've discovered at AWS access key ID and secret. Well, what can you do with that? Well, there's just like this inside of the weird Al, weird A-A-L or <laughs> weird A-A-L is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, tool. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's one of those days. Uh, yeah. There's a, I forget what it's called, but it's like brute force credential or brute force something. Figure out like what your role is. And honestly, it's super not complex. It's just a ton of calls using the SD, uh, AWS SDK to see if literally like, hey, can I access that? No. Can I access that? No. And over and over again. So it's nothing amazing. It's nothing brilliant. Um, but interestingly enough, that's like the one thing of that tool that I consistently hear has been useful to people. And it's like that anytime you build something, it might be like not amazing or super elite or whatever, but if you build something, you script it up and someone can like easily just, you know, get it going and running. And, uh, cause like realistically, man, when you're bouncing from thing to thing, like every week is maybe a new assessment or it's a new project or it's whatever, uh, or every two weeks, whatever, like you, you don't really, if you can avoid like writing tools and you can just download somebody's that it makes it easy in five minutes, get going. That's great. So yeah. Yep. And no then downside well, and to any of it. Yeah. And I mean, this doesn't necessarily target custom sites, right? I, I look at both of those, um, the social scan and the whole, Hey, and it's, it's definitely very, bespoke to each of the different app or different websites that it's hitting, right? Like in Hola, hey, there's a, you know, 
whatever, a snapshot function that actually returns, you know, whether or not it, that is vulnerable. Uh, and so it's, it, it's not just, you know, some JSON or whatever, or configuration file to add a new site to it. It would take a little bit more effort than that, but it wouldn't be that difficult to expand into other, other things. Um, and then, Python. yeah, yeah Python does meta programming. So yeah. we did that with, uh, with again, weird, a, a Al, weird Al, um, which was we, so every time you wanted to extend something, it's just like Metasploit or any other framework, right? You drop a file in, make sure you have the same consistent method to initialize that class or module or whatever. And then, um, as the program boots up, or if you reload it from within the program, um, you then, uh, not Weird Al, Weird Al is just like, it's not like an interactive, it's just uh, command line switches. But anyways, like, uh, so yeah, when when it starts up, it just, lo- it just looks through the directories, makes sure that the structure's right, it's got the method I was just talking about, and then you can invoke, you can see it in the list of uh, modules to run and invoke it. Oh, yeah, I think it's not. Interactive. I think it's a CLI. I can't. I can't remember anymore. Yeah, it, it, uh, honestly, I, like I honestly, I just used it like a week ago. It's a CLI, right? It's a CLI. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I wrote, dude. I wrote that stuff too. And I don't even remember. It's like it's been a while. Yeah. I. I uh, and uh, like I, I actually I wanted to give a plug for it, like that that uh, work that you and um, Chris did on it because it's it's super helpful. From a hey, I found an AWS key in this code base. Um, cause if, if anybody didn't know, we do a lot of code review, right? Um, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, I find like it was recently, you know, I honestly, within this code base, it's an old code base. We found like four or five different AWS keys, um, and we're able to spin through really quickly and say, all right, you know, this one you've really got to be concerned about because, well, it wasn't in this case, but it's a root key or whatever else, Right as far as what the danger is in exposing those keys in a code base like that. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily in GitHub or somewhere like that, that they would have been notified somewhere that they're monitoring those sorts of secrets. Um, so it was, uh, I mean, it was a good thing to actually have, right? Yeah. Oh, is that the metaprogramming stuff that you're talking about? Yeah, that's the, where it first starts. And you can see, we just do basically, uh, cause I mean, Chris wrote a ton of this stuff, but, for this part for like metaprogramming and loading modules and all that stuff. That's, that's what I wrote. And um, uh-huh. that just gives you an idea, like basically parse through the, the module directory and then um, perform an import statement on all of those modules. And then later down somewhere in here. Yeah. So there's get methods for class names you see on line 80 and uh, yeah, you, there's a little E values, a little bit of like, you know, Oh, and I mean, I think everybody knows what, well, maybe not. So metaprogramming just is that like, you know, code that is changing at, we've talked about a bunch, but codes that changes at runtime based off of variables, right? So code that can write code and does that dynamically once the application is initiated based off of whatever variables, so user input, whatever. So that's basically what this is doing. It's just looking for methods that start with module underscore. Um, yeah, so you can see all that stuff. That's kind of how you do it. So I, I guess my point was with going back to this original whole hey app, if that's even how you say it, I don't know. Uh, the um, like you said, the codes kind of when you go through it, it's it's all statically hard coded for each site. But I think it would make more sense to just extract that into like a modules directory or a, a, a I don't know 
a sites direct, whatever directory name you want to use, and then just load it dynamically. And then that way to be easier to extend it going forward. Yeah. So, so if anyone wants to make improvements or, you know, whatever on it, that, that'd be an easy way to do it. Um, outside of, you know, some sort of configuration file or abstracting out the calls that are being made and the responses that are expected. Um, yeah, but it's a, yeah, like, uh, holy know, hey, kind of holy hey. said holy hey. <laughs> that works too. Holy I hey. <laughs> Either way, you know, take a look at it. Uh, you know, if you want to use it, great. If not, great. It's just another interesting fact um, or tool in the arsenal. Uh, the other thing was that I saw that um, Kevin, Cody, gave a, a talk at B-Sides Orlando this last, last weekend, his course talk. Um, I did want to, I didn't know if that actually got posted anywhere. I was going to look really quick. Awesome too. You don't see I, a lot of people yeah. weaponizing and going that far into cores, but that's. Yeah. Let's see. I was going to see if it went up on the B-Sides Orlando. Nope. Uh, their YouTube is from years ago. So we'll have to watch and see if it actually pops up somewhere. We could have him back on to see if there's any like new, we could talk to him to see if there's any new updates from episode 73 when he was on. Yeah. Talking about weaponizing cores. Um, him and Tim Tomes did a bit of work on that. Yeah. So. Yeah, they did. I, I mean, their uh, tool was pretty impressive too. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. To actually brute force passwords based on cores and, you know, the different headers that exist. Yeah. I don't necessarily see it. Okay. Um, so we'll have Kevin back on at some point to talk to him about that. Um, and next up on my list is GitHub actions. Ken, seeing as project zero comes after you. Yeah. Do, me personally, right? No. Yeah. You personally, they, they, they're like, Ooh, CK tricky worked on this. So let's, uh, let's, let's jump into it. Yeah. I'm going to tell uh, the line here. Okay. <laughs> so just as a full disclaimer. Do yep, you want to give a little background or should I? I, I, I'd almost want you to, cause I didn't. Yeah. I, I figured you had better, you know, insight knowledge into how it actually was working than, uh, than I do. Well, let's talk about real quick. Some of the misconceptions about the whole thing. Well, okay. I'll give a high yeah, level, some misconceptions. What, what I can speak to. Right. Cause like, I don't know what, well, I know like, probably what I shouldn't say just cause like, you know, there's still some activity there. So what um, shouldn't you say? Let's say. Uh... <laughs> all right. So let's go over the high level summary. <laughs> the idea is if you have an actions workflow set up your, for your, Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's yep. the, got the project zero details. So the idea is if you, if you set up, if you have a repo and it's got like, um, for instance, some actions workflow set up, right. And let's say it's printing out uh, like issue titles. Okay. Well, on a public repo, anybody can, you know, unless you change settings, whatever, people can, let's just assume they can submit issues to it. Right. So, right then and there, you have a source of tainted input. Anytime someone provides input, it's a source of tainted data, is what we call it. Right. So, once that's that, that tainted data, hits the actions workflow and let's say it's printed out using standard error. Um, there was a bug in which if say the issue title was like set, uh, environment and you overwrote some environment variables, 
you could effectively extract stuff that should be redacted and not accessible to you. That's essentially what it, what it, what it comes down to. Um, and I believe that there was some remote code execution aspect to that because you, you could, I can't even remember the details, but, uh, anytime you're able to like, obviously print out system or print out content and that becomes system commands, you've got an RCE, right? A remote code execution. All right, so that's the kind of the high level on it from what I can remember, because believe me, there's so many, people don't even realize like you deal with so many bugs on a given, in, in, in an org like ours of scale, um, you deal with so many bugs that honestly, like I know to the public, it's like, oh my God. And then internally, the reality is, is like, you know, you get to, uh, you, you've got enough things to deal with and you're prioritizing. This one was actually triaged immediately and taken care of and all that stuff. But um, the point was that uh, like, I guess what I, so the misconceptions, here's the misconceptions. Let's, let's go with that part first before I dive into this. The misconception was like, uh, I, cause we saw it in our Slack of friend, our friend, uh, Slack that contains like some AppSec friends and all that stuff. We saw that there was a little bit of confusion. They're like, well, how does it mean, like, would you need to be a, for instance, collab, uh, collaborator or have like write permissions to be able to do this and modify the workflow? Um, you know, like, are there, uh, are there mitigations in place? And the reality is, is that, not really a lot of public repos that you could you could put some content into had action workflows set up that were printing out certain things that like like that that would be that would be vulnerable from a not someone with no permissions so again i just want to be clear like if i'm a regular user on github and i can go to your public repo and open an issue uh that and that data is included in the workflow then yeah like i you're vulnerable Right. So there were, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that initially during the analysis, I watched a lot of friends who didn't have all the information sort of trying to like piece it together and see how, you know, actionable it was. It was very actionable. It was very, there were a lot of people uh, that would be affected by it, or a lot of projects. Having said that, uh, the real uh, issue, this is probably the only thing I can really speak to is just that um, it was not an issue of Oh, we're, we're not fixing this or anything like that. It was a communication issue. And so like, here's a tip I would give to anybody running a bug bounty program. If anybody that uh, gets visibility on a platform of large scale submits to you, especially one where they have a, you know, like a 90, it, they're known for the 90 day hard 90 day limit. Uh, just be as communicative as possible as not to, because if you if you aren't, it's just going to be disclosed publicly and look like you didn't take any action. But in reality, yeah. that may not be the truth. But nobody knows because you've you're not communicating back and forth. Uh, you know, if if you don't, anyways, if you're not as communicative as you should be, I'm not sure what else I really could say on that subject other than like, yeah, like I said, it's probably more not probably it's more so a communication issue with researchers. And um, again, when you're dealing with this at scale, it's easy to, and at any time that you have, like you have to think about something that, like think about this realistically, anytime you have a feature that might be somewhat complicated and require multiple departments, there's a lot of room for error on the communication front. 
anytime you have anything that involves a lot of a human, human beings, there's a potential for communication to get dropped and, you know, for things to sort of like be, be going on, but not being discussed. If that makes any sense, like the work's being done, but the anyways, so long story short is, uh, you know, that's probably all I can really say about it is just, you have to be commu communicative with your researchers and within the company the company as well to make sure that everybody's on the same page and, and how you discuss this externally is also, you know, put together in a synchronous fashion and yeah, or yeah, all the same data anyways. So that's really what it comes down to. The Vuln itself is cool. Uh, I thought it was really neat research. Uh, we've seen a lot of submissions on the actions front. Um, a lot of those are just out of scope. They're just known things that are, they're not like, you know, for instance, um, unless you can prove that you can laterally move on actions, it's like, yeah, well, we know you can grab, if you're in control of the workflow, we know you can like privest grab the secrets. Yeah. yeah. You can't like get higher. You know what I mean? So anyways, uh, or you can't further escalate from that point as it's set up now, or as we know. So we, we get a lot of these submissions that are just kind of the same stuff. We try to like have filters for it and put it out of scope and all that stuff, but people still submit and stuff like that. So we get inundated with a lot of submissions and this is just one of many. Um, and uh, obviously the criticality and the visibility is much higher um, than the, the, than most submissions, but yeah, that's pretty much my synopsis as much as I can say. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I just wondered from a, you know, kind of a strict like bug bounty perspective, how it had flowed. Um, Cause it was kind of, it was so ho high profile this time around. Um, it was, it, I mean, and this happens, I, I still have this whole uh, like weird reaction to the fact that like Google's project zero is going out and basically <laughs> hacking competitors. <laughs> I like it. I mean, it's fine, right? Like the, the the way that they do that, but like their iOS research team and the other things, you know, it, it it feels a little odd to me that they, you know, that they go after them and then, yeah, and then post the bugs, right? But we, we've had that discussion in the past, so I won't, yeah, I won't belabor it today. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. None of this bothers me. I mean, other than like, you know, having the vulnerability in the first place. But, yeah. you know, I think everybody's reactions, like they're, you know, there's... They're just trying yeah. to, yeah. They're, 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 I think, I think what I'm trying to say is, I think most people were trying to do the right thing on all sides. I just think that it was just a breakdown of communication and, um, and again, not purposeful or anything like that. It just, it just happens. Um, but I got nothing negative to say about it because honestly, like, man, regardless of who finds it, I would rather hear it from the bounty program than I would a year down the line where people have been exploiting, you know, Oh yeah. Users or something like that, 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 that would kill me. That would be horrible. But if uh, a researcher submits it and even if it's like, Oh, shame, you know, on hacker news or whatever, look, man, my ego can take it. You know, our ego can take it. it, it it's, it's more about like, is the, is, is the infrastructure secure is the code secure? So. Yep. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Try and do better. Right yeah, exactly. <laughs> Try and do better. Fix it. That's all you can do, man. That's all you can do, but be communicative. That's the most important part. Well, okay. So along those lines, uh, the next article that had popped up um, that I wanted to talk about, and we've talked about TVs in the past, right? Uh, was this from Sick Codes, who was um, actually looking at TCL, uh, so TVs, 
and just their footprint on the network as they are installed, right? Um, and, you know, uh, in this case, he's looking at the Android TVs, um, those versions, right? Um, and it looks like John Jackson from Shutterstock was involved as well. Um, but like, I don't know, man, it, like it, we, we talk about IOT devices and TVs quite often. Um, and it doesn't seem like that attack surface has really been fully explored, uh, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, it's one of those. Everybody goes out and buys a smart TV and it, they've become uh, throwaway devices, right? And, you know, people are buying TVs every couple of years because there's new functionality, they're bigger, they've become less expensive, they got them in a new room, they hook them all up to the internet at large or, you know, their local network so that they can talk to them and cast to them and all that kind of stuff. But the manufacturers aren't actually hardening those devices before they push them out or hardening those OSs. And that's exactly what you see in this, in this article uh, is that it's very easy to like ADB into that device, right? Like that's the Android debug bridge over the network and gain root access to it. At which point you can see all sorts of stuff in addition to, you know, web servers running on the device itself and other things that expose information it's doing a lot uh, of web calls. Yeah, which is super interesting, right? Like, you know, what's Over going HTTP. on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he just enumerates through what's going on there. Um, one of them was like slash SD card. So you can see everything that's on the, the embedded SD card in that device. It, but the question is why, right? Like, why are you actually exposing all this information or all these applications? Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. soap, XML parser on the TV. That's cool. Sweet. Why not? Right. Like, I, you know, I guess it's got to go, it's got to parse soap somewhere where, right. Man, this is crazy, but I mean, not that crazy. Cause it's right. Like Android running on a TV makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does. Man, this is interesting. Yeah. No, but it, yeah, it's definitely, well, I mean, and that's the thing, man, I'm just glad my TVs don't have cameras on them because that's what really concerns me is like just you know the privacy coming, aspect. Though. Yeah, it's right. coming. I know. I know because it, you, you know, you're going to want a video with yeah. video conference with people and stuff like that. So I know it's coming and that's, man, that the idea of that is super scary with seeing how like this software is on, on our, how poor the security is on these smart TVs. Yeah. And yeah, it just is, well, it, it, it's, it's that whole race to the bottom that these are like consumer devices that they're, the margins are razor thin. So they want to sell the, as many of them as possible at as, at as little cost. So hardening a device costs money, right? Like you, we spend more for our phones now than we do for TVs, right? In general, um, you know, people. Oh my you, God. Yeah, think about going to you know Costco or you know whatever. Oh my wholesale god! Love. Like you can buy like half the price of an iPhone, a new iPhone for, and get yeah. like a seventy inch TV, 70, 75 inch. I just thought about that, man. That's crazy. I didn't really put that. I don't really think about that before. Yeah. So there's more like there's more incentive for 
the manufacturers to secure a phone than there is a TV. Yet there's probably just as many TVs out there as there is phones. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying is I don't feel like there's been enough research into this, right? You know, so this is TCL. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Magno's talking about it as well, right? Um, unlike our phones, laptops, we receive constant patches and updates. This is not the cases for IoT devices. And it's not, right? Like I, I, like I know Roku has like updates for theirs and they, they do specifically call out the Roku TS, TCL TVs as not vulnerable to this, but the Android ones are. Um, I don't know how difficult it is to upgrade those Android devices. Um, and I mean, TCL is number three, like the number three manufacturer right now or something like that or seller of TVs in the, in the US. Um, but LG and Samsung, I believe, are one and two. Um, and I know that LG does, pushes out quite a few updates on their TVs because I see them, right? Um, you know, granted, I like also have, an, you know, like a separate network that I run IoT devices on. So uh, like, but I do see those updates as they go out, right? Like I don't, I know that most people are just hooking those devices up to their local in, internet, you know, Wi-Fi and just they can go to town. So if if anybody wants to write a worm or something like that, and that's what SIT codes call out, calls out here is the fact that, they're not patched, like you're saying, Magno. Uh, the lower profit margin, right? Like, oh, Bruce Schneier gave a great talk about it last month. Cool. Yeah, we should probably find that. Bruce Schneier book over here about cryptography he wrote. It's pretty helpful for like an intro to crypto. Totally off topic. Maybe I'll yeah. send a link if I can figure it out. Yeah, there's some best practices. Schneier on security. So he's got a couple of links around it. Um, but it is, I mean, the TVs, we, we don't necessarily think about it as an IoT device, but it definitely is. It's just it's hooked up to the internet. It's got apps that are running on it. And this also goes back to another device that you and I have been playing with recently um, that you know we're doing some research into that we're going to look at, but the Oculus, right? Yes. I, I, I really wonder, like, as I started to play in that, the whole app infrastructure that's that's on it as well, um, like what that's actually based on, how those apps are being built in those games, um, how the data is being stored. Because those are, those have like every device nowadays has 32 gig at least of data on it. Um, and whether or not that's like an application that's running um, or if it is a like personal data, right? Like your Netflix account password, which is on everything nowadays. Um, anywhere <laughs> that you sign into Netflix, it's stored somewhere. Uh, and I don't know if there's a keychain that's on there. I don't know if it's it's built to store those 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 secrets securely. Again, because there hasn't been as much focus on these IoT devices, TVs, and other things as there has been on mobile and laptops. Um, so, anyway, um, let's see. Oh yeah, that book I put in there is cryptography engineering. I just since we're talking about Bruce Schneier, I, I like that book. It wasn't it wasn't just him. It was Neil. Or I don't remember the name, but it was there's two people in the book, but it's a good book if you're interested. Yeah. Ne not Niels Ferguson is the other person. Cool. Um, Let's yeah. see. IoT hacking a coffee maker was recently smart lock vulnerabilities, right? Like there's all sorts of stuff. I, I mean, if you haven't looked at Schneier.com as well, right? Like his blog has a whole bunch of interesting stuff on it. Here, I'll post that link. Yeah. 
related to IoT security. Right. Um, and other topics. I mean, Schneier's a great resource. He's been around for years and years, right? I, I think my first introduction to him was a cryptography book, right? At some point. Yeah. Crypto is always one that, uh, it's yeah. Crypto is always, <laughs> crypto is always so interesting, but, um, because of standards being, you know, changing and, and, uh, but you know, something that something that's recommended today might not be recommended in three years. And, uh, there's, and then explaining it always to developers is interesting and yeah, it's always a challenge. So, well, and I mean, this is it. You go shopping nowadays for any, any device that you can plug in and there's a smart option, right? Like, uh, you know, we just bought a new washing machine cause the old one died. And it's got mm. the ability to hook up to Wi-Fi and like notify us after the, you know, the wash cycle is done. Uh, and I haven't gone that route yet, but at some mm. point I'm going to, I know I'm, I will just to see what it does. Dude, I'm not going to lie. The convenience is, so I recently been messing around with Google assistance and I have one connected to my Nest thermostats. And uh, like this morning it was freezing. I didn't want to get out of bed with it freezing. I was like, "Hey Google, set the set the temperature." <laughs> it was just beautiful. It's convenient, horrible yeah. privacy and data concerns. But hey, didn't have to get out of bed to, to make it warm. So. Exactly, it's it's all about the smart home. Well, and I mean that goes out actually to something else that I was seeing recently from Tim Berners Lee, right? Um, and this this one wasn't on our list. I just thought about it. Uh, his, um, yeah, but, the uh, blog? no, uh, they were, he's got a new startup that, hold on, he's in the news here that just came out, uh, the new solid privacy server called, or startup interrupt. Yep. Uh, from TechCrunch yesterday. Um, and here there's this TechCrunch article. That's all about it. Uh, this is yeah, this is really interesting from a privacy perspective and how okay, hey, all the refer links on here. Um about how how data is actually sent between different um companies, right? So we think about IoT data or like even something as simple as the net is your like Netflix credentials. Right, you're signing into Netflix in all these different places. Uh, the idea behind Interrupt and the Solid Network uh, is that you give permission, basically, to the data that you, that is housed within Interrupt to like a limited for a limited amount of time to all these other uh, entities. Right. So your healthcare company wants to know where you, what your address is. Instead of providing them with the address, you provide them with permission to go pull your address from interrupt, but they can only use it for a specified amount of time, right? Like, so it, it kind of puts data contracts around or contracts around your data as far as what can actually be used and, and for how long so that you don't have this spread of all your information across all these different sites that you may or may not trust for a specific amount of time. Um, yeah. 
so it's uh, it's kind of a new concept because we don't necessarily have anything like a you know data bank, right? It, like that that's kind of the, the like how I think of it is having this bank that you store all your data in, and then you give access to people at a specific time for specific purposes, and they've got to honor that contract in order to be able to access that data, right? Are you talking about like PII for, for data? Sorry, I'm trying to figure out what this is. Is it, is it like, is the data like users PII or? Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, yes. So uh, like a lot of these, it'll probably come about starting with healthcare companies, right? So okay. health information, like there's a data warehouse with all of your health information in it, like your doctor visits and everything like that. If you go to a new provider, they want to pull that information. You can basically, you know, give them that ability. You, you know, you sign in, authorize them to access that information, but you can limit it to specific information that you want. And so you know who's accessing your data um, and what they're doing with it is the idea. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to take off. It's kind of a, it's an interesting concept, um, but it's the first, it, like the fact that the data is all out there already is the problem, mm-hmm. right? right. Uh, so unless they get a lot of buy-in from a healthcare provider or something like that to, to stand up all this data within this platform, this privacy platform, then yeah, it's, it, it's a chicken and egg problem, right? And so that is, I'm, I'm just watching it from a, a strict, hey, the privacy would be great. But whether or not it actually happens is going to be interesting. So I'm assuming they just plug into the PLA's servers and uh, download all of our hacked data. Yeah, yeah, that's where that. that's where they start from, right? You know, well, sarcasm for you. <laughs> Can you hear that lawnmower, that jet engine lawnmower, in the background? Barely, just barely. A okay, bit. cool. It's yeah. only distracting to me. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's filtered awesome. out for the rest of us. That's awesome. That's cardioid or. Cardioid Yoid. mode. Card- cardioid mode. Cardioid. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's the solid privacy platform. Uh, that wasn't necessarily something. Whoops. That was Magno's comment there. Yeah. I missed. Uh, I was nice when I got to catch up with Magno a couple years back in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. At some point. We... I'm in person. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I don't think I ever have, actually. You have. Oh. But... Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Good. All right. So I have other links here, Ken. What we do have you so much stuff we could talk about. I mean, well, we're getting towards the end of the show in the next little bit. So, uh, oh, we can go for, for 42, 43 minutes. Um, I think everybody, I don't know. Does everybody know about Nat sleep slip streaming? Does it make sense to talk about that? Or should we talk about something else? Like, uh, cause I think that's no, that-, that was in the news pretty heavily but yeah it it would be interesting right like i haven't done a ton of research into it i mean i saw that it came out that sammy you know released it like the the overall idea made sense to me but if you've done more analysis into it i'd I'd like to hear your take on it as far as how it's working what you what you think the real threat on it is Uh, because it did feel to me when i started to peruse that you know the site that he you know, or his blog post on it, it felt like there had to be like a whole bunch of conditions in place for it to work. So what was your initial take on it? Okay, where's the link here? That's true. Um, 
so for instance, just in the very beginning, so just in the very beginning description of that, of the attack, he does mention like, Hey, you know, here's, if, if you can, if you can get the browser to send the internal IP of your victim when they visit your site, cool. But Chrome doesn't do that. So now here's like 40 other things that you kind of have to go through to, I shouldn't make it sound so dramatic. It's not that hard. It's just sort of like, if I can't get the IP easily right off the bat, then I need to do some other trickery, like an image, like put in an image source on my malicious website that you're visiting that then calls out to a list of like known local network gateways. So like, for instance, most of us have routers at our house, like 192.168.1.1. That would be in very easy. uh, What did I say? 192.168.86.1 192.168.86.1 or something like that, right? I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> geez, <laughs> rough, man. Um, I even started taking Alpha Brain too, and it's apparently I need more or it's not working. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, anyways, uh, where was I? Yeah. So, with that um, attack, oh, right, right. So, the image source. So, you use sort of like a timing attack with that if it, if it calls out for those. And I don't remember. It's like, the whole, let me put the, the 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 actual like he has a full description of the entire thing. Oh yeah, you linked to it. Cool, awesome. So, but yeah, so there's um a few conditions. Uh, application level gateway has to be installed for the NAT router, which is actually not. I don't. That's not super uncommon because the thing he talks about is like, for instance, with uh like SIP and and VoIP protocols and just various protocols in general that require multiple ports to basically communicate out with. So you start with your first initial like, hey, you're there, I'm there, cool. And then now I need to open up additional ports to do these additional things. And this is where it sort of abuses that built-in functionality. Use WebRTC to do some of this. Um, And I guess there's arbitrary control over some portions of the, or sorry, there's control over some parts of TCP and UDP packets, which allow you to put in arbitrary data. So I believe the idea was that you'd be replacing um, or you'd be placing rather the internal IPs uh, into requests to the attack the attacker server. So they now know um, how to attack or sorry, who to attack inside the network. And then from there, uh, you're attacked to their, you're attached to their malicious website and they're going to over those exposed ports attack you. That's the kind of high level summary that I got from it uh, in the seven minutes I took to to, to <laughs> cursory <laughs> scroll through it. Um, I do think with with so with Sa- with um, Sammy Camcar, which is like a ha- should be a household name for for folks paying attention to security. Um, sure, a lot of his attacks when you read through them, they seem sort of complicated and. I mean, I'll, honestly, a lot of the stuff he puts out is a little bit complicated. I remember when he was messing with uh, attacking, I think it was like, was it garage remote, like remote um, control garage door openers? I think he was like abusing that. It wasn't uh-huh. simple in the way it was listed out, but then like with the actual proof of concept code and devices, it was very easy to actually attack. So, um, yeah, like I, I think that's probably the, the synopsis with with a lot of what he does. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to see um, if this will be more of a uh, thing, I guess. But having said all that, like, man, if you're atta- if you're visiting my website, 
You know what I mean? You my malicious website. There's probably a lot I I, I could do. Yeah, well, and, try a lot I mean, easier ways to attack you. Yeah, Not probably that's, that's, there, are. there. Yeah, there are right. Like that's and that's kind of where I went to when I started to read it. Was hey, the premise of this is that you visited my website, right? And if you've ever written any JavaScript, right, you know that there's a whole bunch of crap that you can do within JavaScript. Um, that like you could maliciously go about, right? But uh, I mean, the discovery of the local network stuff is always interesting, especially when we start to talk about like we did earlier, IoT devices, right? Mm. If 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 I can get control and scan the network and figure out that you're on this specific you know subnet, like one nine two one six eight zero through whatever, right two five four, and can can tunnel this traffic via WebRTC, um, then all the then I can at that point attack that IoT device. Maybe I can control it, install some malware, but I could do that across the board, you know, against the browser and other things. There's there's yeah. There's just so much that that is included with that that trust relationship that you have when you visit a site. Yeah. yeah. Because it, yeah, you know, anymore that like your browser is basically a full blown operating system that apps are running inside of in conjunction with each other, all the tabs that you have open, um, and they're trying to protect you from you know jumping between sites, jumping between tabs, like Firefox and Google and you know Microsoft is, and Apple as they're developing these these applications have built a whole infrastructure around it and security model that goes into the browser itself. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. You were going to say something else. Oh, no, I don't remember. No, no, I think I was interrupting you. But um, yeah, so the to your point about it being a full-blown OS, like, yeah, if I've got JavaScript running, I'm probably going to pilfer through like your local storage. I'm going to pilfer through any storage, really, any... Um, yeah, I'll make calls on your behalf. I'll, if if I if I know you're a user of a certain site, maybe I'll, I'll if they're C surf, maybe I'll attack that. Maybe I'll use, maybe I'll do a bunch of other things. Is is the point? Um, but I do. I, I don't want to discount the the research because I think it's awesome. I'm a huge fan of Sammy, um, uh, and um, I think it's I think it's nice to see in a, innovation because. We get a little stagnant sometimes, um, and I shouldn't say stagnant, but sometimes it's like, okay, how many times can I see the same vulnerability and I'm supposed to be like amazed, right? So it's nice to see something different, and maybe it's the same kind of class of vulnerability, but it's a variation in how to exploit or something like that. But I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think, and and neither of us are discounting that either. It's just uh, I want to be clear that it's like there's also a lot of other ways to attack people, so it's cool. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if it'd be, it depends on my, it also depends on what, it also depends on just what you're trying to do, right? Like, what are you trying to attack? So, um, but it's cool. I love it. And I like it because how many times over the years have you heard something like, well, that's not possible because X, Y, Z. 
And then you're like, no, that is possible. And then like you feel vindicated because six months later or whatever, some researcher has something that's now branded as much as we make fun of the branding and like the logos and all that stuff for these bones, when they come out and they get a bunch of visibility, a lot of times this is stuff we've already been telling people, but now somebody's made a big deal out of it, weaponized it. So, um, hats off to those researchers. I think it's, it's cool, but again, probably some more practical ways to go about doing this, but yeah. Yeah. Cool yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of pushes the envelope along. Right. Um, I, I still remember when we like, uh, you know, what is it? Um, years ago, right. When cross site scripting was, you know, first coming out and, we got this whole, we got a whole bunch of pushback from developers on, well, so what you've got, like there, you couldn't really do anything with that. Right. Um, and, you know, so pushing the research out to like include things like slipstream and, uh, and others, right. Just, just is further vindication that, Hey, you know, you've got to take security seriously across the board. And if you're not doing the simple things, the large things, you know, it's going to add up over time is really what it boils down to. Dude, how many times have you had to explain to developers how burp suite works and be told, I've been told so many times that burp can't intercept traffic from a mobile device or t from a website because of uh, TLS, SSL. TLS. Yeah. Yep. And I try to explain it in a very simple way. And most of the time it's, it's like, oh, there's a light bulb. I've had a couple cases where the person's just like, I'm showing them that it's happening. And they're like, that's not possible though. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck do you think I'm doing here? Like <laughs> I get, I get, I get the whole, well, no, no one would ever do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, it, I mean, and it's not, and I'm not like, this isn't just developers, it's just people in general until you, you know, it's, I think there's, that, that's what we do. We take your expectation of how technology is supposed to work and bend it. And, and mm -hmm. you know, so it's not unfamiliar territory to have to explain in super detail with examples, with live, like maybe even making a video explaining, hey, like this is actually possible. So it's beautiful when someone goes out there and does research like this and makes a big deal out of it. Yeah. I, I mean, that was early in my career, right? When I was working at the bank, I, I don't know if I've ever told you the story getting into a, you know, uh, we were looking at like uh, the Cisco devices, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, getting into a, a meeting with the arch, you know, the network architects, because we're like, Hey, you know, guess what, right? You're using the same password across all of these devices and right, look what, look what happens and look what we can get to. And the, the question out of like one of the architects uh, mouths was honestly, well, like, are you a CNA? Are you able to actually do this kind of stuff? Like, are you a certified network architect? You know, have you passed the, the Cisco certifications? Like, otherwise we're not going to listen to you about this. Right. Uh, because I, I didn't have the right. Yeah, no, no, I'm totally serious. Right. Oh, you're sorry. You're you say, I, I, so you said, whatever. I, did you mean CCNA? Yeah. CCNA. Certified network. Okay. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah. Like that was the questions out of their mouths when I'm like, guys, like this is a known password across the organization. I can log in and like disable any router or any switch across the organization. 
Uh, we're on a completely flat network, right? Nothing is actually segmented. I mean, granted, this is years and years ago, but it, the first question out of their mouth wasn't, oh, crap, right? Like, how did you do this? It was, are you certified to actually log into these devices? And I was just like, like this, this is like an attacker is not going to, you know, check to see whether or not they have their CCNA before they run this. It's just going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, I liked a tweet from, hold on, let me share the link. Uh, yeah. There was a tweet that was pretty much exactly like that from yesterday that I was like, Oh my God, that's so if I could remember how to use Twitter. Uh, but yeah, like it was, it was along those lines. It's an old, it's from 2009. It's a Kiwi con. Poster, I believe, is what it was. Um, do <laughs> Don't I reveal out? my age. Everybody already knows I'm old, Magno. It's fine. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know anymore how to use Twitter. Jeez. I don't go on it ever See, anymore. Ken, yeah, so. Ken, Ken's the one that's getting old. Can't. Yeah, seriously. I know. I'm helpless at this point. Um, likes. There we go. Cool. Do, 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 do. Where is the poster? It's driving me nuts. All right, let me see if I can find it. But anyways, uh, while we're talking, yeah, that's basically the point. Is like attackers don't care about your budget. They don't care about certifications. They don't care about. Uh, da, da, da. Don't give a shit, KiwiCon. Yeah, let's see here. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, found it. So this is super funny. Let me just share my screen real quick, though. Oh, God, I'm not even sure if I should do that. Hold on. Let me try and safely share my screen. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's about where we're at today, right? You yeah, know? that's for Robert. Here, there you go. Now you can see it. Oh, there you go. Hackers don't give a shit. Yes, about your scope if it's managed by a third. No, and I, and this was it. And to to the to my or to my boss's credit at the time, he was sitting in the meeting with me, and he totally called them on the carpet about it. Right? He was like, "You know, no, right? Like, we're the security team. If we can do this, anyone can do it. So go fix your shit, right? Like, it's basically what he told them. But yeah, look, yeah, look at this, right? Man, that list is huge. I know nobody else can figure that out. Uh, you can't explain no the would risk to that. the business. Um, hold, let me scroll up. You're, You've got oh, other that's priorities. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you don't have a business justification. There's an eye missing, but yeah, you can't share return on investment. You contracted out that risk. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the and, one that should be added to that is, oh, we have cyber insurance. It's fine. <laughs> oh man, this one, that one. About your go live date. Go live yeah. Date. <laughs> Thank you. So sweet. Anyways. Cool, man. Well, yeah, we've been going for about an hour today. Um, I think next week we've got is Clint. Is it Clint that's next week? Clint. Wanna... And we are gonna go through SEMGREP. Well, Clint's gonna Ooh. go through SEMGREP and show us how to use it, the power of it. This is going to be a technical talk. Clint is awesome. You should be following us TLDR sec newsletter. If you aren't already yeah. very useful information. And you know, you said something about Clint. I think it was last week. You said everything he does feels very purposeful and very well crafted or something along those lines. And I feel yes. like that's very much what I get from him as well. He's very, he puts his focus on maximum effort or sorry, maximum results. Like he's putting his effort towards 
the only the most useful things. And then one of those things is the newsletter. And then in that newsletter, it's very, very well. What's the word I'm looking for? Curated. I don't know. Curated. Thank you. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Curated. Very well curated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I tweeted out about this as well, like with uh, Kevin Cody, right? There's guys in the industry that make me feel like, or give me imposter syndrome, just like massively. And those two are right up there on it, right? The research that they do, the the care and feeding that they put into it, right? Like I, I, I know that I can, it makes me want to do better basically is what it boils down to is to share the research, share my thoughts, actually write it down. Like somebody commented on the channel last, you know, last week or within the last week, like on one of the episodes, they're like, Hey, you know, you guys mentioned a whole bunch of tools in this, you know, did it all get actually posted in there? There's show notes somewhere. And I'm like, man, I wish I had more time to go through and actually create some of those show notes, right? Like I know that it would be a useful resource or even just like post about the stuff we talk about. Um, I don't know. I like, I think there's going to be more stuff coming from you and I and from absolute AppSec along those lines over the next year or so, uh, as we want to improve things like also like, you know, a book, you know, we've been talking about for a year or so, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we want to do, but those guys are inspiring because of what they're able to generate um, and what they're actually able to put out. So listen next week. Um, and yeah, we're going to have a kid uh, Kubernetes CTF. Sweet. Magno post, post the details. We'll retweet about it. Okay. Uh, we'll let everybody know. That'd be awesome to, to actually dig into. Um. Yeah. Otherwise, right. Uh, I don't think there's anything else right now. Everybody can find us online um, or join our Slack channel, uh, continue the discussion. We love to talk about all this stuff. Obviously we've been doing it for 114 episodes at this point and it will continue on. So any final thoughts today, Ken? Just that if you do want, if, if, if you're looking for show notes, um, one thing I can say is if you go into absolute AppSec Slack, you can find all the links in the general channel typically, but also at the, if you scroll to the end of the YouTube video in the chat, it now, you know, it shows all the chat and in the chat we've posted, we try to post anyways, all of the links. Yes. There's um, like Seth said with, we would like to get, uh, yeah, we'd like to be better about that in the interim before we are that that's, those are the two main ways to get uh, any of the de details that you might, uh, not have if you're like listening, for instance, to the audio only version. So, yep. All right. Well, good deal. We'll talk to everybody next week. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for being a part of the community, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you, everyone.